0: You're listening to The Bonfire Podcast, fanning the flames of the gospel to the ends of the world. Come on, let's dive into the Word. Well, welcome to The Bonfire Podcast, everyone. We are glad that you are joining us for another episode of what we consider to be the best Bible study podcast that you can find out and about. And so um, if this is your first time listening, we'd encourage you to come in and stay a while and listen to what we have to say. And if you haven't done so already, we'd ask you to subscribe and download our episodes on a regular basis. We release episodes every Sunday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And so if you do that, download and subscribe, you'll be able to get those delivered to your mobile device um, every time we release a new episode. I'd also like to encourage you to go over to our Facebook page. That's where you can like our episodes. You can also share those with your friends on social media from that platform. So please head over there and do that. And then the last thing I want to ask you, this is a new uh, request. Um, Many of our listeners, in fact, most of our listeners uh, find our podcast through Apple Podcast. And so in Apple Podcast, you can go into the podcast and you can rate it and leave a review. And so I would ask you if you would just take just a a few minutes uh, and do that for us. Go in there. It gives us a number of stars for the podcast and gives you an opportunity just to type in a quick message why this is so important is that is part of the algorithm that helps get our podcast out further and get it in front of more people. And so, uh, the more ratings and the more reviews that you have, the higher that gets pushed up into the search engines and makes it easier uh, for folks to find us. Uh, right now, we've got a five-star rating, uh, but we've only got I think 13 ratings at this point. We'd love to have a few more of those um, out there. Um, and again, give us all feedback, good and bad. We'd love to hear from you. So, if you would help us out and write a review and rate us there on. Apple Podcast. Well, this episode, we are going to be in week two of our study, The Depths of Mercy, Jonah and the God of Second Chances. In week one, we discussed the call that God gave uh, to his prophet Jonah, and the call uh, was to go and to preach, not not only just go, but go and preach uh, to Nineveh. And uh, after hearing from God, Jonah rebelled and went in the opposite direction. Now, if you missed week one, I would encourage you to go back and listen to that episode Uh, to get our full discussion and the full commentary that we provided on that. Uh, But that's just the quick um, overview of what we discussed last week. And as we ended last week, we were in the closing verses of chapter 1. And at that point, the reluctant mariners tossed Jonah into the depths of the angry sea. And that's where we're going to pick up on our episode today is uh, in chapter 1, verse 17. And so, we're going to go ahead and just jump right in. And if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to turn to Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, and we'll read that together. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. Now, uh, there's a couple of things, Dad, that I want us to talk about here. And, and the two things that stood out to me uh, that I want us to talk about is uh, we have God's provision and power uh, at play here. And uh, so I want to first talk about God's power. I want you to, to notice that in verse 17, uh, there's a word that gets used there, and that word is prepared. Okay, it says that God prepared, the Lord prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. Now, that word prepared, you know, many times when we're using it in our language, it's kind of like we're making something or creating something. But really, the, the word that was used here in the original text um, was more about being assigned right. and, and that something was assigned. And so, what this verse is telling us is that the God of heaven, he looked down into the seas and he spoke to one of those great sea animals, we presume it to be a whale, mm-hmm. and gave him a job to do. Yes, that's right. The God, or the one true God, assigned a mercy mission uh, to a presumable whale, and he performed the task just as directed. Now, Dad, that's obedience. Uh, The fish obeyed God. I love it. And if we think about what we studied so far in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we see that God's power and his sovereignty has been on display throughout all the scripture that we've looked at thus far. Think about this. The storm was under God's control. Mm -hmm. God prepared that storm, and he sent it. And the very winds and the waves were in exact obedience to his direction. Right, they were doing exactly what he wanted. And now we see that the the creatures, the sea creatures of the deep, are obeying his commands as well. And I think it's it's interesting. And, and I encourage all of our listeners to think about this. Here in one book, we see that all of creation, with the exception of sinful man is obeying God. That's right. And how telling is that to our sinful condition and our need for a Savior? Mm -hmm. But I also think that it it is a reminder to us, and this is something that I need to be reminded of on a regular basis, is that um, God is in control. He is the Lord of all creation. He, God is sovereign. And there's nothing that happens in this world that happens without him You know, letting it happen. It, it's permitted to happen per him. And so I see God's power at play in these verses of Scripture. What, what do you see there, Dan?
1: I absolutely see uh, God's power. Even when Jesus was on earth, he had power over the wind and the waves. And when he said, "'Peace be still,' the wind and the waves stopped.'" And so just as he can tell the wind and the waves to stop, he can cause the winds to start stirring and the waves to start moving across the water. He can put a fish upon a fish to be right where he needs to be to catch old Jonah. That's exactly right. And so I also
0: see God's provision.
1: Hey, I want to interrupt here. You know, I sent you a picture last week. Of a blue whale yeah. that someone made up in maybe a helicopter or a plane. There yeah. was a little boat out in the water, and the shadow uh, that, w- or it, it appeared to be a shadow. It was the the image of the of the blue whale under that boat. Hey. That whale could have swallowed an entire boat.
0: <laughs> yeah, comparative that, size. Yeah, it was. That's exactly it was right. Massive.
1: That, that that whale was right where he was supposed to be. He was there, no doubt, with a mouth open, ready for that old Jonah to drop in. That's right.
0: Know? That's right. And so it's amazing God's powers uh, and and display in these verses that we're reading here, and then the study. God is sovereign. That's one of the underlying themes of this book is the sovereignty of God. Um, and so we see that playing out here. Even the, the fish, even this great fish, the whale, was obedient to God's will. Um, and unfortunately, the only person who wasn't at this point was was Jonah. Right. The other thing that I see here is God's provision. And this, this may sound a, a little bit weird, but if you think about it, God prepared the great fish to swallow Jonah to protect his life for three days and three nights. I mean, think about it. Jonah most— Certainly would have perished if he was left out in this sea by himself. Right. Right. I mean, we don't know. Maybe Jonah could swim. Maybe he couldn't. We don't know. But he's out in the middle of the water. There's obviously no place for him to get food. There's, he we presume, in a salt water body. Right. And so no water for him to drink. And so at some point, he was going to perish unless someone else came by and, and picked him up. I mean, this was a bleak situation here. And so God prepared a well to go and to protect him. And so I, I find it interesting that this vessel of safety that God prepared, it, it just so happened to be the belly of a whale. That's, that's, that's right. what he did. Now, you, you may say, and I think many of us are, are probably thinking the same thing, and we talked about this last time, is, well, after all that he did, did he really deserve to be saved? Mm -hmm. I mean, think about it. Now, Jonah has gone in direct opposition of God. Mm -hmm. He's went in the the complete direction that he was not supposed to go. He's boarded a boat and lost his testimony in front of pagan mariners. And then he said, hey, toss me in the sea. I'd rather die than do do what I'm supposed to do. Uh, And you would think after all that, uh, God would be like, I'm done with you. And so the, you know, that that's us putting our human logic into the, the mind of God. And he doesn't work that way. And so for us, it's a very si- simple and, and quick no, he doesn't deserve it. Right. But what I, I don't want our listeners to miss is that this is yet another episode of God's mercy. And just as I said earlier, this whale was given a mercy mission assigned by God, uh, and he performed the task to go save him.
1: That's right. You know, if if God doesn't use rebellious. Sinners that are restored unto Him, who's He going to use? That's right, because we're, we're, all. we're all
0: all the same way. That's right, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very easy to look at the, this account of Jonah and his ministry and, and to think, man, he was a terrible person, but. Uh, if, if I'm honest, I can see myself in these same pages, you know. Right. Uh, I'm no better than Jonah, and none of us are. And we've all been in this situation where we defied defied God, and, and thankfully, we have a merciful God mm-hmm. who's willing to show us mercy. Right. And so, I, again, I see this as God's provision. He prepared a well to save Jonah. Not, again, to punish him. We talked about that last week, the difference between punishment and discipline. And this was really to protect him. Now, the question remains, and, and you're probably thinking to yourself, well, okay, so Jonah's in the well for three days. What is he doing for three days, right? I mean, did he die and he was dead for three days and then brought back to life? Or was he literally just hanging out in the belly of a whale for three days yeah. and three nights? Well, the Bible doesn't explicitly tell us the answer to that question, but people have interpreted it both ways. And so we're going to try and present to you both ways that this is interpreted and, and Dad, I think you're going to share with us kind of how those who interpret that Jesus uh, that uh, Jonah died in the whale, well, what they base their argument on. Can you share that with the listeners? Well,
1: that's right. There's there's two views about what was happening to Jonah as he was inside that belly of the whale. Well. One view holds that Jonah died and later returned to life. The second view holds that Jonah remained alive for three days in the belly of the fish. Now, both views agree on a literal reading of the book of Jonah and affirm God's supernatural ability to rescue his prophet. The difference is whether to see Jonah 2.10 as a description of a weak and beragled Jonah or a truly resurrected Jonah. Now, those who argue that Jonah died and later rose again appeal to Jonah's prayer in Jonah 2.2 where Jonah said, from the depths of the grave, or sheol, I called for help. Now the use of the term sheol, the Hebrew term for the grave, could mean that Jonah actually died. Uh, Yet the words, the depth of the grave, seen as a poetic turn or phrase could easily refer to an agonizing or horrifying experience. Well, there's another reason that some argue for Jonah's death and resurrection. Over in Matthew 12, 40, Jesus said, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The reasoning is that since Jesus's death and resurrection were actual, then Jonah must have also actually died and later returned to life. However, Jesus's comparison does not mandate perfect congruency between the two events. Um, uh, Jonah's hopeless situation was illustrative of Jesus's death. Jonah, Jonah's sudden appearance at Nineveh was illustrative of Jesus' resurrection. The three days was an additional similarity. Jonah returned from the edge of death. Jesus, who is greater than Jonah, returned from actual death. Analogies do not require absolutely Agreement in every detail, and so uh, Matt, perhaps you got some evidence for why he was alive in the belly of the whale.
0: Yeah, so that alternative uh, opinion is again that he was alive, and uh, those who espouse to that belief um, really base it on three things. And the the first thing is the fact that the Bible clearly states uh, in Jonah chapter two verse one. That Jonah prayed from the belly of the whale. And wow. so we know at least at some point, uh, Jonah was physically there in the belly of the whale, and he was alive and he was praying mm-hmm. uh, from the just the literal interpretation of uh, chapter 2, verse 1. The other thing that we base that belief on is that the, the language of Jonah's prayer was poetic in nature. The terms such as sheol, really speak to the bleakness of Jonah's circumstances. I mean, think about this. Obviously from Jonah's human perspective, death was inevitable, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, he's in the midst of this well. Um, He again has no real source of clean drinking water. He has no real source of food other than eating the gastric contents of, of what's in this well. And so from his human perspective, his only option was death. Mm-hmm. And he was at the brink of death. He, he could easily say that he was walking through the shadows of death and right there at the edge of Sheol. The third thing that people uh, try to, to, to hang their hat on with this side of the argument is the plausibility that this could actually occur. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, people have gone to extensive lengths to prove that a man could be inside of a whale and still live. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I found interesting, Dad, and in one of the commentaries I was reading, they were talking about the Sulphur Bottom Whale, and the Sulphur Bottom Whale is one of the largest whales, as, as well whale as the uh, the the killer whale or the the, the whale shark and um this this particular whale has been measured as to be as long as a hundred feet in length. And this whale that was a hundred feet in length, its mouth was ten to twelve feet wide. So it mm-hmm. could easily have swallowed a whole horse. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, so obviously could, it could take on uh, a single man. The whale uh, these type of whales also have four to six compartments in their stomach. And any one of them could house a group of full-grown men. So there's plenty of space to move around. And then don't forget, whales are actually air breathers. And so their nasal cavity contains a massive amount of air storage. And this nasal cavity has been measured as being as large as 7 feet high, 7 feet wide, and 14 feet long. Mm -hmm. And so the argument there is there's enough space, there's enough air, that someone could be sustained inside a whale For three days.
1: That's right. Uh, You know, we gave an illustration to begin our podcast series on Jonah about the lobster diver that recently, you know, was swallowed by a whale and was spit back up by the whale and survived, lived to tell about it. (laughs) Well, uh, uh, Jonah and that lobster diver are not the only people swallowed by a whale. In February of 1891, the crew of the whaling ship Star of the East sighted a large sperm whale off the falkland islands and they harpooned the whale and in its death throes it swallowed a man named james bartley a day and a half later now a day and a half later his shipmate who thought he had drowned found him unconscious in the whale's belly bartley lived to tell about it and his story was published in the newspapers describing his sensations as he slid into the innermost part of the whale. Well. He said that he could breathe easily, but the heat was unbearable. His whole appearance was changed by the ordeal, for his neck, face, and hands, which had been exposed to the whale's gastric juices, were permanently bleached into a livid whiteness. A man can be swallowed by a whale and live. And James Bartley's experience gives us the idea of what it must have been like for Jonah when he was swallowed by the whale, or at least that great fish that the Bible tells us about you know the smithsonian institute in washington dc for those of you that won't even listen to our stories now i'm talking about the smithsonian institute in washington dc it has an exhibit of a giant sperm whale that was captured off of knight's key florida in 1912 this whale is 45 feet long has a mouth of 38 inches wide now this is smaller than the one that you described weighed 30,000 pounds of fish in its stomach at the time that it was captured weighed 1,500 pounds. That fish certainly could have swallowed a man. And from the illustrations that you've already gotten of two men, one in the 1800s, one recently, that lived to tell about it, it's possible to be swallowed up by a whale of all fish and to live in the belly of that whale.
0: That's exactly right. Yeah, so from all logical standpoint, and even if you want to say scientific standpoint, you can make a, a strong arg- argument for the plausibility of being inside the well and living. But I think it really comes back to what I talked about just a little bit earlier. You know, this book is all about God's sovereignty, and um, and, and I just don't want to question it. You know, it, it's, it's, it's God's purview. If God wanted to prepare a fish, whether it be a well or some other type of creature, and he wanted this to happen this way— uh, God's in control and he could have made it all happen. And so, uh, you know, we can get caught up in the details of, of this fish or that fish and how big and all those things. But I just want to bring us back to to center our conversation around the fact that we, we have a sovereign God who's in control and he can do whatever he wants to. He can. And he can make it happen. And so uh, we presented these two viewpoints for you. I think the kind of consensus, well, I don't know if I can say consensus, but at least maybe the more mainstream idea that Jonah lived— Um, through that three-day period and was in the well. And that's kind of the the premise we're going to take as we move forward and interpret the rest of the Scriptures, is that Jonah was alive uh, in the Bethlehem well for three days and three nights. So let's continue with our story here, and let's see what happens uh, next uh, to Jonah. So we're going to look at uh, Jonah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. And so we see here, verse 1, it says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God, from the fish's belly. He said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. And so we're going to stop right here and just look at this. Uh, we see that. In the belly of the whale, what was Jonah doing? Well, Jonah was praying. He was praying to God. Now, his prayer was born out of of affliction, not affection. Okay, and and so some people can can say, "Well, was this really a sincere prayer?" But um, you know, whether it was you know out of infection, uh, affection or affliction, it's better to have prayed than not have prayed at all. Mm-hmm. And so many times, Dad, you know, we were talking before we got started. That uh, sometimes it takes these kind of rock bottom, or in this case, well bottom situations, to get our attention. And it's when we hit that rock bottom that we finally look up. That's right. And and I really feel like this was that situation that Jonah is now realizing I've got myself into a mess. Mm -hmm. I've in the middle of the sea. I'm now inside of a well and I can feel that I'm just going deeper and deeper down and I'm certainly to perish. And he reached out to God during that time.
1: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. You know, uh, let's look at verse five. Now we're going to kind of skip around here, Yep. but in verse five and six, Jonah says the water, water surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head I went down to the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. Now going through an experience like that, Will cause you to pray, like you were talking about, if nothing else will. So at first we get the picture that Jonah's prayer was born out of affliction, not affection, like you said. He cried out to the Lord because he was in danger, not because he delighted in the Lord. Jonah was now experiencing what the sailors experienced during the storm. You remember he was asleep during a major part of that storm, yeah. you know, and he felt uh, what he what he felt what they were feeling, like. Uh, like he was perishing. It's good for God's people and especially preachers to remember what it's like to be lost and without hope. How easy it is for us to grow hard towards sinners and lose our compassion for the lost. As God dropped Jonah into the depths, God was reminding him of what the people of Nineveh were going through in their sinful condition. They were helpless and hopeless, and God heard Jonah's cry for help, just as God hears us when we cry out to him in our distress. And he does more than just hear. Notice in verse 2, and he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction, and he answered me. And out of the belly of Sheol, or death, I cried, and you heard my voice. So he did more than just cry out. God answered him. The first step to getting out of the depths is to call out to God to pray.
0: Yeah, that's that's
1: exactly right. Some try everything else. They try pills and alcohol and books and counselors. But Jonah did what you're supposed to do, pray. Yep, he
0: reached out to God. He reached and, out to God. And that, that's the best thing to do in, the, in that situation.
1: Hey, it's never too late to pray. That, that's right. <laughs> that, that tells us going down in the depths of the sea, never too late to pray.
0: Let's let's look at what Jonah says next. So let's go to verse 3 and take a look there. It says, For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the floods surrounded me, In your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. And that takes us through verse 4 here. And so what I want us to to notice here is that Jonah is, is, is now beginning to really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he's begun to acknowledge that this is God's discipline. And, and the, the way that you can tell that is, notice the, the words they use here. He says, you cast me into the deep. Remember, you know, this is not Jonah saying, throw me over or the mariners. He's, he's saying, God, you're the one that cast me into the deep. Mm-hmm. And then also notice he says, and all of your billows and your waves passed over me. So he's recognizing that God was in control of that storm. He's in control of everything and that this is a God orchestrated type event. And he realizes that God's trying to get his attention. And um, so, if, if, if you want to discredit Jonah, you can, but I, I think he deserves some credit here that he, he was actually waking up to God's chastening of him. And he's identifying that, wait a minute, God's trying to get my attention. And he did what he was supposed to do in that scenario, and that was to reach up to God, which we just talked about.
1: That's right. You know, how we respond to God's discipline determines the benefit that we receive from his discipline. Now, God would discipline his disobedient children, his servants that that uh, disobey him and sin. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 and 6, and then verses 9 and 11. I want you to listen to what it says. Now, this is the New Testament. And the writer of Hebrews is writing to Christians. He said, and you have forsaken the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. Or you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as the sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be rebuked when you are rebuked by him, nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, he scourges every son. Verse 9, furthermore. We have human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us to seemed best to them. But he, meaning God for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, there's different ways to respond to God's discipline. Now, some of you might be under the discipline of God right now. Uh, as a servant of God because you've been disobedient to his will, to his call in your life. And here's the ways that you can respond to his discipline. Well, you can despise his discipline. You know, the author of Hebrews said, my son, do not despise the discipline or the chastening of the Lord. You can fight against it. You can be discouraged by his uh, discipline. He said, the author of Hebrews verse 5 nor be discouraged when you're rebuked by, by him. Or you can resist it and invite stronger discipline, possibly even death. You can do that. Uh, you can resist his discipline. But now listen to verses 8 and 9 of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, the author of Hebrews writing to Christians, but you, but if you are without chastening of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection? The fact that God chastened Jonah was proof that Jonah truly belonged to God, for God disciplines only His children. God chastens us in love that afterwards we may, as the author of Hebrews said, enjoy the peaceable fruit of righteousness. I'll tell you what, I've been under the discipline of God before, and it's no fun to be under the discipline of God. I was running from God when he was calling me to full-time ministry. And I was laid on my back just before I went back to college, Clemson, my second year, looking up at a ceiling. I knew that I was laying there because I'd been disobedient to God. But I submitted to his discipline. I didn't despise it. I knew I deserved it. And I asked God to forgive me for ignoring his call on my life. And then I enjoyed the peaceable fruit of righteousness afterwards. I enjoyed that. And so here's Jonah, a disobedient servant, prophet. And uh, and so he's learning a lesson about God's chastisement. Now, folks, I'll tell you what, if you're a Christian out there and you're outside the will of God, if you haven't been chas- uh, chastened yet, well, if you're truly a Christian, you're going to be chastened. Mm-hmm. And if you're not chastened, hey, the author of Hebrews lets you know that you don't really belong to God because he chastens Uh, His children, a father chases his sons. You know, Matt, when you were growing up. Uh, you and some of the other little old kids out there at church might have been getting kind of rambunctious and doing things maybe out in the playground they shouldn't do. But uh, after we all went home, I didn't chase the other kids. You belong to me, you know. And I was chasing folks. <laughs> I, was, I was, was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I, right. I, I, I've got scars to prove it. <laughs> um,
0: but, but no, that's right. So uh, God uh, chastens his children uh, and those who he loves. And so um, we see here Jonah, again, was identifying that, wait a minute, everything that's happening here. This is God. God is working. God's trying to get my attention. And, and and he turns to God. I want you to see an important part of verse four here. We read it, but we'll read verse four again. It says, Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight. So he recognizes that that he is he's gone against God and that he's, he's he has walked away from God's favor. But look what he says next. He says, Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, in this verse here, we see um, basically, and, and and people like to argue and say that, you know, maybe that uh, Jonah's uh, prayer here was kind of a weak prayer of repentance. But that statement right there is, is very telling um, that he was going to turn his attention. He was going to turn his focus and he was going to seek the God in heaven and toward his, temper, uh, his temple. Dan, I think you got some verses or something to say on, on that particular verse, don't you?
1: Right. Well, you know, he said in verse four, "Yet I will look again toward your holy temple." In verse seven, he says, "And my prayer went up to you," meaning went up to God into your holy temple. Now, when King Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem, he asked God for a special favor. Over in First Kings eight thirty-eight through forty, he said, "Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people, Israel." When each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then here in heaven, your dwelling place and forgive and act and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose hearts you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land which you gave to their fathers. By faith, Jonah, he looked to God's temple and God delivered him. That's what that's what King Solomon said. Hey, when we get in trouble, when we know we're being chastened, disciplined by God, God, would you allow us to look to your temple? And, and the temple represented a place where God met man. Mm. And that we might pray, that we might find forgiveness. And that's exactly what Jonah did. Now, I don't know if he turned around and looked in a certain corner like he was looking back to... Uh, to Jerusalem, to the temple. I think he was just looking up because we know that the earthly temple is just a shadow of form of the real temple in heaven where God lives. He looked up to God on his throne and he prayed, uh, just like King Solomon begged God that we should, we could do if we ever found ourselves, uh, in chastisement with him.
0: That's exactly right, and so we see Jonah is again. He's praying. He's he's now identified that this this everything is happening is God's discipline on me. It's God's chastisement, and he begins to turn his face and, and begins to, to to seek God again, and in a form of repentance, prays that he's going to turn his sight back to the temple, and then we see God's response. And I want us to look at uh, for God's response. Let's re- look at verses six. And we'll go ahead and do verse 7 as well. We've read it, but we'll read it again. I went down into the moorings of the mountains, the earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit. O Lord my God, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. So we see here God's response. And God's response is He responded by saving Jonah. Remember, he we said that he prepared the fish, uh, and he, and the fish came to save Jonah as he was there um, potentially drowning in the sea. Not only that, now he's inside the belly of the whale, and we're going to see that God is going to save him from his perilous position that he's in right now inside this whale. God responded to his prayer of repentance. That what I find interesting in, in here is um, one thing that I think we can say is, is pretty much a, a promise is that uh, God is quick to respond to prayers of repentance. Right. You know we many times we <clears> talk <throat> about praying and waiting on God, and and uh, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of times where we pray and we don't we don't know what the answer is or what the solution is or what direction we're supposed to go. And many times we just have to keep praying and we have to wait on God. But I, I feel confident that the Bible tells us over and over again the one prayer that you typically don't have to wait for is that prayer of repentance. When you make that prayer of repentance and you're you're asking God for forgiveness and you're turning from your wicked ways and your sin, it's immediate that God's going to answer that prayer and come to you. And let's let's look at the rest of Jonah's prayer here, looking at verses eight and verses nine. Starting verse eight here, it says, "Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy." but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay what I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And so in these verses here, um, I really see a completely demeanor shift in in Jonah, right? So Jonah was this kind of bitter prophet who got a call from God and said, I'm not doing that. I'm going in the opposite direction and uh, just violating God one step after the other. And now he's... Uh, found out that he needed to repent. He's repented, and he feels that God is answering his prayer. And he begins to to change his position, and he goes from that bitterness. And he goes over into a, a moment of, of thanksgiving, mm-hmm. and uh, he, he begins to talk about how good God is. In verse 8 there, there's an interesting statement that he says, those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy. And I think you got some stuff on that.
1: That's right. Here, Jonah admits that there were idols in his life that robbed him of God's blessing. Now, what were his idols? Well, number one, his intense patriotism. He was so concerned with the safety and prosperity of his own nation, Israel, that he refused to be God's messenger to their bitter enemies, the Assyrians. And another idol, he was protecting, you can be certain, his own reputation. I mean, you think about it. Uh, knowing God like he did, uh, if he goes and he preaches the judgment of God and they repent, I'm sure he figures God to forgive them. And then uh, instead of being a hero when he comes back to Israel, you know, uh, word gets out that uh, God spared the Assyrians instead of killed them. Uh, Who knows? Maybe that had something to do with it, too. He was thinking about what other people would think about him.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So we see that verse eight and then verse nine there again. But I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. So in this verse, um, Jonah is is basically making a, a commitment to, to return to what he's supposed to do as a faithful follower of Christ, right. that he's going he's gonna to sacrifice. That sacrifice is an act of worship. It's also an act of submission, and he's going to do it with a thankful heart, which is what he's called to do. Think about it. Jonah in chapter 1 was this bitter prophet, and now we see a, a repented prophet here who's talking about restoring his relationship with God and going back into his sacrifice, again, with a joy of thanksgiving. I also find interesting that verse Dad add there. It says, I will pay what i have vowed mm-hmm. now that particular line in my opinion what i think jonah is, is is saying here what the scripture is telling to us is he he's saying here that i vowed that i was going to be your servant right and that i was going to do what you asked me to do and i've i committed my life to that and so he right there that statement i see him saying god i'm going to do what you asked me to do
1: and you know too you could uh, carry this further uh being in the belly of the whale, knowing that he was in the belly of that whale because of his disobedience, because he wouldn't go to Nineveh, I'm—I feel for certain—he said, "God, you get me out of this, and I'm going to be the best preacher's ever been. And then if I'm going to go, and I'm going to tell them, I'm going to preach hellfire and damnation. I'm going to—I'm going to let them know there's a God in heaven. And if you get me out of this, I'll do it." You know, there's an illustration that comes to my mind when I think about this. I've been out of seminary since 1984, December of 84. And I I imagine my seminary evangelism professor's uh, already gone home to be with the Lord. His name was Delos Miles. And Delos was in the Korean War. He fought for uh, our country in the Korean War. He was in a bunker. Uh, You know, I'm I'm sure he was— machine gunning or shooting you know what the koreans well you know uh his his area was overtaken by the koreans and so he knew that he was as good as dead and so he laid down and he pretended to be dead and and the enemy soldiers came and got inside the bunker and, you know, he was pretending to be dead. And and there he was laying there trying to be as still as possible so as to not, you know, he was fighting, trembling, you know. Uh, anytime you feel like you're going about to die, you that would be a natural response, physical response. But he was fighting that. And he could hear these men talking in their language. And they were in there for a good long while. And there he was pretending to be dead. Well, before they left the bunker, one of them got up and and walked over to where Delos was laying and put the barrel of his rifle up against Delos's head perhaps the barrel of the the rifle was angled just a bit but to make sure Delos was dead he pulled the trigger to shoot him in the head and when he pulled the trigger the bullet came out of that chamber and pr- perhaps uh, it was uh, the the gun was aimed at sort of the bullet was sort of aimed at an angle but the bullet routed hit his skull and routed around his skull around his skull instead of going straight through his skull into his brain there he was you know still pretending to be dead he told god while he was laying in that bunker with those Korean soldiers. He said, God, you get me out of this, and I'll preach for you. I'll do anything you call me to do. I will I will tell people about you. In other words, I'll be your best servant. I'll preach for you. Do whatever you say that I'm to do. God got him out of that bunker, and that was sort of like a, a, a belly of the whale experience. And D'Lo smiles. He paid his vows. He told God, I'll do whatever you want me to do when I get out of here. God called him to be an evangelist. Now, that's what... What Jonah ended up being, yeah. an evangelist. God called him to be an evangelist, and he ended up being a, an evangelism professor and teaching all those those uh, preacher boys how to do the work of an evangelist in school. He paid his vows. Yeah, it's a great story. And so Jonah here says, again, I will pay what I
0: vowed. It's a very, very similar to the, the illustration that you gave there, Dad. So we've looked at uh, God's uh, power and provision. We've looked at Jonah's prayer, and then as we get ready to close here, I want to look at the whale's projection, okay? The whale's projection. Uh, this is going to be Jonah chapter 2, verse 10. And uh, we'll read this together. It says, So the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Man, what an, an imagery there. Uh, can't you just see that a whale swimming up to the shore and just spewing uh, Jonah out on the beach? I don't know if you've ever seen a whale uh, up close and in person, but you know that they'll spew water out of the top of their, their head. Right. Uh, and just think about the force that that comes out of there. And they can do that with their mouth as well. And so I just see Jonah flying through the air and landing there on the, on the beach. Um where, where that whale spewed him out. And so the other thing that I find interesting here is look at the language in this verse. Again, it says the Lord spoke to the fish. And so this is a God-orchestrated event here. Again, God prepared the the, the fish to, to swallow Jonah, uh, but he also commanded that the fish give Jonah back. And uh, in both instances, the, the whale followed through in a complete obedience to God the Father.
1: That's exactly right. I love that. You know, another thing I think about, Matt, when I think about that old uh, whale vomiting Jonah out of his mouth. And, you know, uh, Jonah, being a rebellious servant of God, sort of soured on that old whale's stomach. And I think about what Jesus said. Jesus, in talking to the the lukewarm church that's told about in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, he told the lukewarm church, the church that wasn't either hot for God on fire for God, or cold? He said. So then, because you're lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You know, God, Jesus is essentially saying, you know, it's, it's it just makes me sick uh, when I've done so much for people to save them. They should be on fire for me, but when they choose to just be lukewarm, and uh, it just makes me sick, makes me want to vomit. Mm. And it's uh, folks, you know. We need to not be lukewarm Christians. We need to be dedicated on fire for God, like Jonah was supposed to be.
0: Mm, uh, that's good. That's good. Well, this uh, is going to bring us to the end of uh, week two in our study here. Uh, just as we wrap up, when I, I always try to come back and say, you know, what is the practical application of what we're, we're reading here? And obviously the book is full of, of many. But from this particular week, the things that stuck out to me is, again, God's sovereignty, that God's in control, that he's... He is the Lord of all creation and everything obeys His commands. Um, and it's us, as sinful uh, humans, uh, that have the issue, mm. and that uh, boy, it just speaks to the fact that we do need a savior, someone that can come and take that penalty for us and take away that curse of sin, right. uh, so that we can be made to be more like uh, Jesus. And so, I see that as a as a practical application to think about that God's sovereign; He's in control. It's easy to get trapped up in the day to day circumstances of what's going on in the world, and you just maybe in a bleak situation, you go, "I just don't understand." What's happening? What's going on? Be mindful that God is in control, and that uh, that uh, everything that happens is happening because God permits it to happen. Right, and uh, it doesn't. Everything goes through His hand before it comes to us, and so that's some encouragement there for those of you who are going through a tough time. I also saw that as you talked about, Dad, it's never too late to pray, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, when when nothing else is is working. Uh, God works and, he, right. and he's the answer. And so there may be some of you that have have been uh, kind of at that rock bottom point and you've been uh, searching for things to fix your issue. Um, but if you haven't gave God a try, uh, you're looking in all the wrong places. And so I'd encourage you to do like Jonah did and and look up from your, your lowly position there and reach out to God and uh, ask for help. And he will be uh, quick to provide you the help. As I said, quick. A prayer of repentance is quickly answered. Uh, God, God's not going to let a prayer of repentance uh, just sit there unanswered. He's going to come quickly uh, because that's what—that's the desire of His heart is that, uh, that all of us as His children, His creation, that we would uh, want to repent from our wicked ways and turn our hearts back to Him. And He's just waiting for us to do it right? so that He can accept it. So those are some practical applications that hopefully uh, you were able to, to glean with us as we study uh, through the book of Jonah. I'd encourage you uh, this week to be reading in chapter three, um, a fairly short book, short chapters, so it's easy to get through. Uh, and our next week, uh, we'll be tackling uh, chapter three and going from basically Start to finish on that particular chapter, and again, if you have an opportunity, maybe study with a friend. Uh, maybe there's someone you can get with at work, or maybe a family member that uh, you can listen to the episodes independently, and then come together and talk about God's word together. Um, Dad, we we need to get more into the Word. I mean, there's uh, there's there's all kinds of things in this world to distract us from doing it, but uh, this this is food for Christians, and we need to be uh, partaking in it daily. And so. I just encourage everyone to get into the Word, start studying.
1: That's exactly right. Well, Dad,
0: will you pray us out of here? Sure.
1: Our Heavenly Father, we love you, and we're thankful, Lord, that you love us. Now, our Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I pray for those that are in the podcast audience today or those that are listening on Facebook that might be running from your will, your purpose, your plan for their life. Lord, uh, they're going to run right into you uh, because, Lord, you want those that you've called to do what you ask them to do, and our heavenly Father uh, you sent a whale for Jonah uh, not only as, not just punishment uh, to rescue him and uh, to get him in a position to where he was willing to do uh, what you called him to do I've been in that position, Lord that you had to allow circumstances in my life to come to cause me to be willing to do what you wanted me to do and father, I know there's some out there that uh, today that are battling with your will what you're asking them to do and god i pray that they will submit to you and lord that they might not have to undergo the chastisement of god and lord if they are undergoing the chastisement of god help them not to despise it help them not to fight against it help them lord god uh, to be thankful that uh, that chastisement is a sign that they really belong to you and that, God, it was uh, sent to them as a means of turning them around that they might enjoy the peaceful fruit of righteousness in their life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Bonfire Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe wherever you stream your podcast content. Also, be sure to rate us on iTunes and Facebook so that others will know about the podcast. If you have a question that you'd like to see us address on an episode, feel free to email us at bonfireministries at gmail.com.